If you guys want to stay tuned in on everything going on at The Evolution Podcast, come check us out on Instagram at The Evolution Podcast or on Twitter at The Evolution Pod. We have weekly giveaways and updates pertaining to every single one of our guests. And don't forget to check us out on our website at TheEvolutionPodcast.com. That's TheEvolutionPodcast.com. We now have The Evolution Podcast hats and t-shirts available on our website for purchase. Go check it out. Welcome everybody, I'm your host, Michael Sparts, here on the Evolution Podcast. This week's guest is a captivating entertainer and businessman, who from an early age was given permission by his biggest supporter to succeed in anything he put his mind to. Now, I understand that might seem a bit cliche, but Jimmy Dunn as a person is anything but that. He's a family man with a Midwestern foundation who's made a name for himself in the entertainment industry through his gift of writing and unwavering expectations of success, always striving to do what he loves. As an American songwriter, recording artist, composer, film and television producer, and entrepreneur, his songs have been recorded on 27 million records around the world and over 1,400 television episodes and film scores. From his days as a producer on hit TV series like Happy Days and Joni Loves Chachi to writing the best record of the year, Nobody Loves You Like You Do, which was recorded by artists such as Whitney Houston, Jermaine Jackson, Anne Murray, and Dave Loggins, Jimmy Dunn's success in a hot and cold industry has been a steady sizzle all the way through. If you've ever heard of someone who moves the needle, well, Jimmy Dunn is the guy that does it. And through his faith, family, and the values he's maintained as his foundation, his skill set and success has had the ability to shine through. And if there's anything I know for sure, it's that you're going to enjoy this podcast here today. So sit back and enjoy. This is my sit-down interview with Jimmy Dunn. All right, we are sitting here at the Bel Air Bay Club off the Pacific Ocean in Southern California, the Pacific Palisades, with Jimmy Dunn. I tell you what, the only thing that could put you to sleep today is the waves crashing about 20 yards from us here off the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Jimmy Dunn is intriguing, engaging, and one of the most creative people we've had on the Evolution Podcast. So uh, stay tuned, guys. This is going to be a fun one. Jimmy Dunn, thank you so much for being a part of the Evolution Podcast. I am uh, I'm excited. We, we just had lunch today. Uh, thank you so much for having me as a guest and introducing me to the Bel Air Bay Club. Uh, this is a pretty cool place. I'm so honored to be here with you, and it's a privilege to be able to talk to you and anyone that's listening. So, I know a little bit of your story. Uh, I grew up in the same neighborhood you grew up in. I know you. I know your family well. I grew up down the block from two brothers of yours and and one sister. All lived in different homes on our block. So, you come from a very reputable family in the neighborhood. So, I said, I I got to sit down with this guy. Uh, while I'm out in southern <coughs> Southern California, so 
Typically, what we do on the Evolution Podcast is we start at the beginning. Where you come from, what's your story, uh, how did you get to become the success that you are today? And I know you've seen success in a lot of different areas, but um, what was it like growing up in LaGrange, Illinois? It was, I, I feel like I, that the soil that I grew up in was the richest, most fabulous soil a person could ever play in. And it was really kind of a combustion of, you know, a handful of things as a kid. I think one was that I didn't really, I didn't grow up in LaGrange. I grew up in, in the parish of St. Francis. Sure. And everything that our family did really evolved around this this community this parish um and for me it was partly being one of seven kids um that i had the best relationship with all of my brothers and sisters we all do Mm -hmm. with each other uh, I just was so lucky to be born into a family of them mm-hmm. uh, with a fantastic mom and dad that couldn't have been more different. Uh, my mom is still alive. My dad, when we walk out of the house, would um, stop us at the door and say, "Don't remember, don't forget, you're a dun," <laughs> and and with it came all the things of an expectation of what that was mm-hmm. to him. And uh, and my um, and my mother would then walk you out to wherever you were going, and then say, "Be nice." And it was sort of this balance between my dad and my yeah. mom. Yeah. And uh, and but it was just that LTHS greatest single high school in America, no doubt about it. The the most incredible opportunities for a kid to be able to take a photography class and and music they, they didn't have music classes they had music s- s- building yeah and um i took a songwriting class at lt and just the 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 just the programming the teachers it just was rich it was yeah. just it was just fantastic yeah um so lucky me to grow up in in an, in such a fantastic environment that that just screamed at you, be anybody and anything that you want in your life and and go make it happen. I, I do feel like growing up there myself that, that you know anything was possible and, and it was a very mm-hmm. positive, uh, a very positive environment. Whether it be your neighbors or the people one town over, you you always felt like. You had you had a chance, yeah. And whatever you really wanted to do, and and, yeah. and for you, you you made reference to the arts and and yep. you know and, and music and things like that. Which, by the way, I want to take a step back. Your father was the first guy who ever taught me how to make a martini. So <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever made uh, one since. But I, 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 I chaperoned a party. Marty, I love that. I'm so happy to hear that. I love that. classic, right? I love that. That's great. Pull me aside. He goes, you know how to make a martini? I go, I have no idea. He goes, how are you a bartender at this party? I go, I have no idea. He goes, come over here. I'm going to show you how to do it. That's great. I love Such that. Such a great guy. Love that. Um, but, but yeah, LaGrange is, is a fantastic town. Western Springs is, is technically where I grew up for half of my life. But um, that being such a great growing up yeah, period for you. That, that yeah, that whole area is all the same. You you decided to go to Kentucky for for school. How does it get, I've never heard of anybody from LaGrange, Western Springs deciding, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go to the you know, to the state of Kentucky and, and go to school there. What what was the draw? 
What was the intrigue? I I think, I mean, the truth of the matter is I went to Kentucky because my mother said, Kentucky, that's nice. That would be a good place. And so there you go. And, you know, and I went down there and probably had too many beers with a couple guys I knew from LaGrange. And with that, thought, what a fantastic place this is. Yeah. But um, I did also go there to play tennis. So that was kind of a draw. It was, I mean, it was really about, you know, going down there to play tennis. And yeah. I was very involved at LT as a writer in the journalism department, and they had a very good journalism school. So that was kind of the thing. But um, I would say, you know, the real step there for me was um, to, to to go to a new place, to try something new and, uh, um, you know, and to experience the different people and everything that goes along with that. And... You know, I would, to me, when I think of college days, um, or even high school days, and it was a little bit what we were talking earlier about, Mike, mm-hmm. I think so much of is about, as a kid, is is do you have people in your life, things in your life, that that anchored a confidence, and that, and that gave you a, a sense that you can... You know, you can do it, whatever that, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And for me, anchors were brothers and sisters, and a mom and dad, and Father Murray at you know it's at St. Francis, and Sister Virginia. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Yeah, and um, and 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 John, my incredible journalism teacher, that flunked me. Uh, gave me an F when I really? when I was the he taught the lion and I wrote a uh, thing and he gave me an F and I said well, <laughs> you can't give me an F and he said he said you're getting an F because I know what this could be and you're just you just sold out you're so safe yeah give me something that expresses your essence holy smokes and and that was the first day that I saw a love of storytelling was you know through that and so uh, challenged a little bit right yeah and at the same time you had the the love and the the sense of family and community with your family and, uh-huh. and the church and i would say even back in those days the through line of my career mm-hmm. has really been the art of storytelling mm-hmm. and as a kid you know i was sort of the knucklehead that was the mc of the you know the eighth grade stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and and as within high school of you know being the class president, and I I gravitated towards leadership roles, and you know and the the fun of that and the, and the challenge of that. But in terms of the art of my life, it was in you know I started writing songs as a. Around, I think it was like around seventh grade or something. Yeah, and and it really started because um, I had um, I was in a band in seventh grade, my first band, and we were playing at um, St. Cletus for yeah. sock hop. St. Cletus, yeah, they were called sock hops then, and uh, the band I was in, uh, they. I didn't practice that weekend with the band, so I didn't know any of the songs. But I <laughs> borrowed a Farfisa organ, and then didn't even plug it in on the stage at St. Cletus. But after we played, I was standing there on the stage, and I feel like it was yesterday. And um, there were like these these 
you know, seven sassy uh, seventh grade girls looking up at us, and and they said to me, "You were so fabulous on the you know on the organ. I didn't even have it on." And I thought, "This is the career for me. Love yeah. that." That's awesome. Um, but uh, but I you know I did music just as a kid writing songs and and then I when I was at um, a job that I had I think about 19 jobs was at LaGrange Country Club <laughs> and one of those jobs was when I was a uh, as a bus boy the man that ran the club was so cheap so they didn't have to pay musician union dues he'd have me play behind this um, curtain and for all the golfers that came off the the 18th hole, yeah. and this is and they'd all be in this big room. And on Sundays, I'd be behind this curtain as like a freshman in high school, banging on this piano. Nobody could see me behind this big curtain, and and I every t- you know nobody would ever clap or anything because they didn't even know where this was, where coming, was coming from. from right? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be sitting there in my busboy uniform with the piano, you know, making like three bucks an hour, and oh and I and I had my big you know number born free. And finished it with a big swell, just you know, hoping somebody may just say, you know, clap or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this man yelled out, "Somebody turn that shit down!" <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but oh. you know, it was little steps of being a musician, doing it, yeah. getting punched in the face with it, and you know, and falling in love with the art of music and the art of performing and of entertaining and of all that goes along with that and storytelling and that was that was sort of my growing days of all that and then kind of back to our tale then went to college um i also there was very involved in leadership things there yeah uh and uh and got a great break that the the kid who was the next to me in my dorm was the smartest person I ever met in my life, a guy named Joe Grant Clark. Okay. And uh, and he basically said to me, well, isn't it better to be a smart person than a dumb person? And with it, I kind of trailed. I was like his shadow in classes. And uh, he was in this the first year, one of the first years of the honors program that they had there. And then... I got in that, and there were, and with being in that, it sort of gave me a confidence that mm-hmm. I could be a smart person, and 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 with it did well, and you know, academically. I heard you. Uh, I read once but, that you finished top like one percent of your class. Well, I mean, it was just it's like anything. It's just that if you know if that becomes something you want to do, then that's what you're doing. But I but I enjoyed. That part I loved the just the art of 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 um, school. It was fun. Yeah, and 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 um, and I and with it, it was a tremendous experience. And and with all of that, um, and also while I was doing that, I got to um, I was a really crappy college player that I only played like a year and a half in Kentucky and that was being the worst person on the team and but it afforded me uh-huh. to teach and I got to teach at all the the suburban country clubs like Edgewood Valley and and, yeah. uh, and uh, Oak Brook Bath and Tennis and places okay and with it I got to run my own little business 
and I got to really be an entrepreneur for the first time. Wow. It was the greatest job I ever had in teaching kids. I, I got to start. I started the West Suburban Tennis Conference. We gave it a fancy name. You, you started and, that? Yeah. I, yeah, I was in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I grew up playing in the West Suburban <laughs> Tennis yeah. Conference. Yeah. And they just said it was like their 40th anniversary of the yes. West Suburban Tennis Conference. But I just, I made it up when I, you know, because with all the schools or the town, the, nobody played in, you know, with each other. And yeah. So we named a thing and created all these rules. And oddly, the same divisions, the same everything, are still the same divisions today. Yes, yes. But but, um, but all those, the point of that stuff is, all those little baby steps yep. of, of failures and wins and, you know, and all that, put some meat on your bones. Yeah. And, and in my case, uh, there was a... Um, a moment in college where I had to declare my majors and stuff and and I chose a path through this honors program thing where you, you basically you named it but it wasn't a traditional name it wasn't traditional road of that and it was two majors and two minors but it was it was not in a normal path okay and or through the business school like a normal path thing and I remember saying to my dad you know, is this okay? And he said, what's okay <laughs> is for you to do what, I'm getting emotional, thinking about what you want to do, what, where you want to go. That's what's okay. That's so and cool. with that permission, that gave me permission to get in a Mazda GLC out of our neighborhood, stuffed with a bunch of crap, and and drive out to California. And and I I literally didn't know a person in California and uh, fortunately, I had I got to be the I was the academic advisor, a tutor to the SA fraternity at USC. <laughs> no way! And they paid me fifteen hundred bucks, and um, uh, and when I got there, they were supposed to pre-internet, pre-cell phones, all that. They mm-hmm. were supposed to set up room and board, get me classes in a master's thing at USC, all this stuff. The kid in the fraternity house didn't do any of it. He forgot, and, he, and I came to the door at eleven o'clock on a Friday night, um, a couple of days before school started, and said, "I'm Jimmy Dunn, your you know your academic advisor from Kentucky." All bad words, <laughs> and 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 he had this beer the size of a golf cart in his hand, and he said, "That's what I forgot to do." He didn't do any of it. And I know where to live. I lived in a Spanish housing project. And, um, uh, you know, and had to figure it out. Yeah. And, um, but, and, and kind of on, with that in mind, I then was there a while, met some of what turned out to be the best buddies of my life were from those kids that I tutored at the time. Really? And their kids are my best buddies now. Yeah. And, um, but, um, and then, and then after, while I was going on, um, I had two uh, two people or two opportunities from Lagrange that I had to take advantage of that okay. you know that was going to to get me going. Uh-huh. And one was my mother. Um, every Friday night, eating fish sticks, would tell us how. Um, <laughs> um, how her boyfriend at sixth grade was, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his new name. Um, 
<coughs> Newhart, Bob Newhart. Oh, really? <coughs> and she was, and that was her boyfriend in seventh grade. No way. And she'd go on tell you all these stories about Bob Newhart. So, on one of the days that I climbed over a fence at Universal to, you know, just to go try to meet people and stuff on the on the Universal lot, <coughs> I knocked on the door of. Um, Bob Newhart's. He had like a little cottage there. Yeah. And at the time, he was the star of a television show, and um, and the secretary was there, and uh, and and I said, "I'm Jimmy Dunn." Um, my my, you know, it's kind of a crazy story, but my mother was, you know, was Mr. Newhart's boyfriend in seventh grade, <laughs> <laughs> and and she said, "Oh my God, that's the most adorable thing I've ever heard." You know, Mr. Bob Newhart is going to be so excited to hear this. Yeah, hold on one second, let me go interrupt him. And she went into his office and closed the door, and I just heard this mumble, 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 and it kind of went on too long. And she came back and she said, "Jimmy, I'm so sorry, but Mr. Newhart has never heard of your mother." Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just threw my mother under the bus. So that was that, and then uh, and then the other one was a kid that I taught tennis lessons to, who was like five. His dad was a fraternity brother of Gary Marshall, who was a, um, a who at the time was a, a TV producer and had yeah. literally five. Or three of the top ten shows in the year at the time. Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and Work and Mindy and a couple of things. Wow. And so it was enough. He didn't know I'm great, but it was enough to get an interview with sure. Mr. Marshall. And I uh, and I went in for my interview and um, and at Paramount and uh, and I as a good Midwesterner, I was all dressed up in a suit and tie in the middle of the summer. <laughs> And um, and I went in there with my resume and said, you know, I want to be in show business, and and I could tell. And right when we started the meeting, he showed me this picture of himself next to his tennis court, and Mr. Marshall um, uh, uh, always talked like he had a lobotomy the week before. <laughs> And um, and he and he saw the picture, this picture that he had that he was putting behind him on like this shelf thing, and he said, "The tennis court. I just built the thing for myself and the kids. I'm never going to even play on it because I got no time. I'm running a bunch of television shows. So what do you got?" And <laughs> then um, and then we had our interview. And, you know, after him telling me how he had no life because he's got to do his shows and all this, and I could tell the interview, nothing was going to, I wasn't getting a job. And I walked out, and as I was walking out, the only thing I remember about this kid is he had a, like a 4,000 pimples on his face, and he said to me as I walked by, nice outfit, mocking me. And I thought, you jackass. <laughs> And only because he said that, I yeah. turned back around just to bug him and went back into Gary Marshall's office. And I went back in, and he was already on the phone. And I said, Mr. Marshall? Um, and and he said, yes. And he didn't even know my name by then anymore. And I said, I got one thing. I got something that nobody else in the Paramount lot, lot can give you. And... And he said to the guy on the phone, just because he was so inquisitive of my 
sassiness. Yeah. Said, let me call you right back. And I said, and what would that be? And and, he, and I said, I can give you a life. I'll see you at your court at 10 in the morning. I'm going to give you 55 minutes of a tennis lesson, and you're going to give me five minutes of a writing lesson. And he came out from beside his desk, and he said, you got a deal. Wow. And, and then that turned into, from that to... 15 minutes writing lesson to when it would rain, he'd say, come over anyways, and we'd sit at his kitchen table and talk about writing and storytelling and the art of story and Leho Sengri and, and all of the people that you know were mentors and people he looked up to. And, uh, and, uh, and, and with that, created a mentoring relationship where so cool. he, through all of those days... Gave me opportunities, as you were sort of talking about mm-hmm. with your days at Intercall, that I surely didn't deserve at that time. But yeah. I just was lucky enough to, to you know, to have that opportunity. But I got to see everything. I got to see. I got to sit at the writers' tables. I got to edit or to be in the editing rooms. Mm-hmm. I got to be on the set and everything, everything, everything. And you know, and I remember one day. Uh, I was I kind of I was getting too big for my britches and this was after about six months and went into to Mr. Marshall's office and was whining about how I wasn't making enough money and that I was doing the job of the person you know that, that somebody else's job and and he said to me he said Jimmy if you remember one thing about me remember this. He said, there's not one thing that you can do that I can't do better. <laughs> <laughs> That'll sit your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh. and he said, no, there is one thing. You could stay up. He said, stay up. That's a good thing. And oh what he meant God. was, he, gets, he, he said, all I got at 22 is that I can outwork people because I could show up before they are due and come in later and stay later. Wow. So that's what I tried to do was just, you know, and I'd write a script once a week, slip it under his door. They were the worst scripts ever written. Really? And, um, but... Because you knew, because now you look back and, and oh think that, or he so would come up to you and say, this is the worst script He would script tell ever. me how bad they were. Okay. And, um... And and then, but he would tell me like why the story was messed up. And honesty you know. is impactful that way. Oh when my you get god, that constructive it was fantastic. Criticism. And I yeah. and I just could. We just kept banging at these horrible stories until one was you know good enough for them to make. And then that launched that side of things to be a writer, you know, on that show or to write episodes and for for happy, happy days, days and, and to be a social producer and then that produce that I mean you know other show that and other shows at Paramount mm-hmm. and but it it was, you know, like everything. It's just one thing led to another. And I was just really fortunate though to have people in my life that, that believed in me. Yeah. And that not only did they believe in me and give me chances, the power of people like him and Jerry Paris, the director, and and the and the stars of the show at the time, Andrew Winkler, and the different people, that and and that meant a lot. And that confidence, that was what gives you your Goliath. It's mm-hmm. your it's that juice of people that say you could do it. Mm-hmm. And 
Anyway, that's a no, no. Long, this is great. That's incredibly long answer to a short question. I, I love it because typically I, I interject, but you, you're you're in a zone over here, and I, I'm not going to interject because this is good stuff. So I feel like if I interject, we're going to miss something. No, but no, oh my god. I do want to know, so how do you dovetail the, that first bit of success and that mentorship? Because uh-huh. I, from what I'm familiar with, and I could be off base, but from what I'm familiar with in, in, in L.A. and Hollywood is is the relationships only last so long. You know, yeah. Some last forever, but they only <coughs> last so long until the next opportunity yeah. arises. And what were the... You know, how were you able to move past just this one big time opportunity that you had with Happy Days and some of the characters, you know, the actors and actresses in there, the writers, the producers, things like that? How were you able to move past that and become more than just that? I would say you're absolutely right. Is that you know, living in in the in the art world, especially in the Hollywood art world, you are a it's a circus world. You 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 go from it's a traveling show. Once the show is down, you got to reinvent yourself and then get it, you know, get hired again or do something mm-hmm. all over again. It's a do-over. Um, in my case, I had a collective eclectic interests of music and television and the producing side and the writing side. And I had different things that were fascinating to me. So while I was doing that, um, I was songwriting and I was blessed to um, to get. Uh, at Paramount, I was just i i had I worked for the right price tag, free um, <laughs> on anybody that wanted me to write anything or do anything for any show at Paramount. So, really? and then in the studio, which was this gorgeous, world class, you know, it's one of the most spectacular stages in in music, mm-hmm. um, the Paramount stage. I just was a guy on a show as an associate producer or a producer that actually knew something about music. So with it, um, the other shows and other things would, you know, would have me, because I'm free, mm-hmm. I would kind of be around. And I was around all that. And and I got to sort of not only learn from all of that, but um, got to just write for a lot of different shows and and um, I just learned my chops musically. And then with it, um, uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, to Whitney Houston. Um, it was just breaking around then. And the short version is I, I got, it was a song that, that she recorded with Jermaine Jackson at the time. And then at the same time, Ann Murray cut that same song. It was called, a song called Nobody Loves Me Like You Do. And then she cut it with... Dave Loggins Nash in Nashville, and it was sort of like you know I had two hit records going at the same time. Both were number one on the charts and uh, in the pop record side and in the country record side, and it just kind of got the ball rolling for you know in terms of music, yeah, and things with Kenny Rogers and and a lot of things in the television side with Janet Jackson and. Just writing for a lot of shows and themes and Olympics and stuff, and I I wrote for about fifteen hundred episodes, you know, during a sort of a chunk of time then, but it was just banging out a lot of shows, and I loved it. I was writing yeah. the stuff and producing it and writing themes for shows and for movies and just kind of writing for a lot of different things. But to your point, it's 
the you know it's like going back to you know to Gary Marshall, but I remember asking him one time about with producing a show, and he said two things to me that always have stayed with me. One was I said, "How do you get to be a producer on a show?" And he said, "You're the producer on the show when everybody at the table is looking at you." And uh, wow! And then he said the other thing though I said was, "How do you?" You know, who are the people that are successful? Is it the, is it the, um, you know, is it the art people or is it the, you know, is it the business people? And he said the really successful people are the ones that are really good in art and really good in business. And and I really think that's true, is that anybody that's in the arts, whether you're a songwriter, a screenwriter, a producer, a dancer, pick one, you've got to be you have to have business acumen you have to understand you really have to have a sense of branding and all those all those things and and so i've tried to learn over my life to have those some of those skills along the way and to find a balance that way of business and art you know uh, i I'm, i'm fascinated by you know obviously you're a very creative person um uh, but your ability to pick up kind of the business side. Now, you you and I were talking very specifically before this interview about business mm-hmm. and doing business yeah. for right. money, right. doing yep. business for uh, why are you doing business? Are you passionate about it? Do you want to do it just because you love to do it? It's not worth doing unless you are now making, uh, making money doing it. Right. Now, when did that actually turn for you? When you were able to turn a passion and a love for something and being a part of something to, you know what? You better pay me for this because I'm worth more than just being the guy at the Paramount Studio helping you out for free. It's a great question. Uh, it was, for me, I was so lucky to get married to the most fantastic girl in the world, Kathy Bailey from Minnesota, and she's spectacular. And uh, that happened the day our first child showed up on the planet Earth. That's so that, cool. And that... And that with with this gift of children, um, that it became very very clear that that I had to find the balance of, of art and business, mm-hmm. and and I and that and that life uh, with a with a wife and the kids, it didn't operate on a roller coaster economic. It can't. It doesn't survive that way. Mm-hmm. You have to pay bills every month. So I had to find a way to balance all of that and to, to balance activities and life that allowed me to 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 you know to, to be the artistic person that I was to me put in this earth to do mm-hmm. while you know providing for my family. And 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 finding finding both of those, and um, so the need for the need for business is is was really born out of survival. Mm-hmm. And but I would say is that you know I I find that for me the last job I had I think was um, for Mister 
Mr. Reynolds on Spring Avenue <laughs> cutting his grass <laughs> um, in the middle of the summer with grass all over my face. Yeah. Um, and he paid me, you know, like four fifty or something. That's yeah. the last job I've ever had. The rest of that time since then, I've loved it. I love teaching tennis. I love playing piano places. I've loved being a television writer and producing television shows and and I've loved writing songs for people and and just the the writing with crazy ass good people mm-hmm. and and being in the been in the the privilege of being in the room with these people mm-hmm. and and I've loved Starting Inspire, a company that's about music and branding and blending those things together. I love working right now with a couple foundations that are fantastic mm-hmm. with the Sheriff's Youth Foundation. It's a, we're it's doing incredible things for five thousand inner city kids right now, and and to help strategically line that up and to build better stuff for them and better story and better programming how lucky am i and so yeah. it's it's finding that blend and 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 for me a through line of storytelling and 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 trying to re-explore redefine the art of story in these different things along for me my tom sawyer journey of life of mm-hmm. you know of just trying new things and seeing if it can work out. Hey, this is working out great. I, I, I feel very <laughs> confident about that. Now, this is hands down my favorite piece of the Evolution Podcast. We call it your final words. I'm going to throw you some questions. You're going to throw me some answers right back. And we're going to keep this thing rolling because these are your final words on today's episode of the Evolution Podcast. <laughs> As I mentioned before, your father was the first person to teach me how to make a martini. Now, um, what was the first thing you remember kind of resonating your, that your father taught you? Um, and, and I will take a step back and say, um, on a very, what was a sad day, you know, when, when my family came to your, your, your father's funeral, oh. um, the standing room only, St. Xavier. I mean, I'm emotional thinking about it because it was such a special day everybody had it wasn't one story or two stories everybody was so impacted by your father what he meant to the community what he meant to your family and and you guys and all your stories along the way um what was that first thing that you really remember from your father saying man i'm never gonna forget that you know what i'm saying god is it it one great teaching or one special thing from your father you learned I don't know why in the world I'm thinking of this, but I'm. My brother and I got a Bobo the Clown for Christmas <laughs> when we were like five or something, and I don't remember if you know what a Bobo the Clown was. But I don't know. There are these fantastic things that were like almost at the, as when you were a six year old, they were at least as big as you, <laughs> and this they're like big fat things that this blow up, but the base of them is filled with sand. But the oh, great yeah. thing about a Bobo the Clown, it's like a punching bag. Yeah, yeah. But the great thing about a Bobo the Clown is that you punched it, but Bobo always came back, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. He taught me to take a punch. He taught me in life that it's okay 
to get punched. It's okay to fail. It's okay. Go try it. Do it. Be it. Express yourself. Be you. Wow. He, he allowed me to be me. Wow. And it's the best gift in the world. It's, uh, and, 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 and coming from a guy like yourself that's seen the success and the happiness with the family oh, that you've my, built. My and dad was a, in you, the trans state oil. He was in the oil business. Yeah. And he was, I, I, like yesterday, I remember standing over one of his oil, at, at, at his old trans state oil company downtown in Chicago. And, he's, and I was standing over this, like, uh, oil tank in the ground. And he was climbing down the thing to look in it. And um, and I remember looking at that. And he was telling me about it. This is a great business. You know, you could do this. And I was thinking, I don't want... It's, this is fantastic that you love this and that you're doing this. I, I don't want to do this. And he's, he, he was always okay with, go be Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Be, be, be you. Mm-hmm. Lucky me. So lucky, man. That's it's it's a it's a great answer, uh, if if I'm allowed to say so. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I did ask, I did chime in and, and ask a few of your family members uh, and, and nieces and nephews, and you know about you and what they thought about you and some special things about you. And yeah, you know, hey, most creative person I've ever met. The guy I can do, go to, you know, if I'm brain brainstorming and he get, he's the one who gets it started, you know, if if I'm looking for somebody um, that's been there and done it and willing to speak from experience as opposed to theory or concepts, this guy's the, the one to do it. Um, and he's always the life of the party. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was all these great things that are that are said about you, right? Um, you know, for uh, let, let me make one one comment here. I was talking to Kevin Dunn, your your godson. I love right? Kevin Dunn. Just what a, what love, a great love, kid. Love him. On his way to become an orthopedic uh, surgeon, and uh, he, he talked to me about uh, one of the most you're one of the most creative people he's ever met. So when he had his graduation speech at Notre Dame that he had to give mm. for the science of business school, he gets it up in front of the entire science of business school and he goes, "Hey." I need to get this thing started. I'm kind of in a bind. I need you to help me out. He calls you. What does it mean to you to have your family kind of look at you in these different ways? I I think I'm our family. I think what's great about our family is we all we all respect the different things we you know we all do or are you know hopefully pretty good at and. Um, I, I'm I'm always I'm always so honored when anybody asks me my opinion about any of those kind of things, mm-hmm. and you know I always the only thing I always try to do with any of those kind of moments is it's I hate when people like quotes people like Socrates like they're you know trying to show up what Socrates said, but <laughs> Aristotle said something that always stuck with me that um, uh, it was that art is capturing the essence. Mm-hmm. And I always think that's all. That's all that moment is for Kevin. How does if that's you know like in that kind of a moment? How does somebody capture who they are in a moment? How does that thing, that moment, ref- mirror their life? You know, mm-hmm. how does a job that you have at Intercom mirror your life? How is an expression of who you are? So that's 
I'm a, I'm a one-note story with that, is anytime anybody asks me to do something, I'm really just saying, let me help you express how beautiful and extraordinary you are. I, I will say the one thing I appreciate most about you in, in our interaction um, is you've taken the time and, and, and you care. And I mentioned that earlier, you care. First time I ever met you was at your brother Marty's office in Chicago, and you were you were in there. I stopped in. I introduced myself. You came out of your office. You stood by my desk for five minutes. I don't know why, but you cared. You asked about what I was doing and what my job and what my role was, and you cared. I'm like, this guy's the nicest guy ever. You sat down, and, and, and you spent lunchtime with me. You, you asked a million questions. You told me your thoughts and opinions because you care, and, and I do genuinely appreciate that. Now, one more thing. Thank you. It starts with the um, your first real song that you ever wrote, right? And I could be wrong in this. This is uh-huh. more research I've done. Uh, <laughs> the Saint Xavier fight. Francis. Sorry, sorry, Saint, Saint, Saint Francis. Francis Xavier. Oh, the Saint of Marty. Was that you and Marty wrote it? Me and Marty wrote it. You and wrote it. You and your brother wrote it. Yeah. So. That's one of the first songs you kind of ever ever formulated at a, at a youth, right? A, no, that was like in college. Oh, okay, I started right. writing when I was, you know, a little kid. Yeah, writing stupid songs. What's what's your favorite song that you've ever created? Because obviously that song still exists oh, and it's still the fight song for your grade school. But I, it's I, it's funny as a songwriter. Most of the songs that I've you know, written in my lifetime, you're really writing for an assignment. You're writing either for a movie or for mm-hmm. a television show or or an artist is looking for a particular thing or something. You're writing you you've got an agenda. Okay. It's like an artist that's that sits down and says, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw this and then okay. that's what you you know, you do. Every once in a blue moon, uh, I've had the privilege of you just just a song shows up unannounced and 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 it might be in a car it might be standing in a shower it might be in the middle of the night but it just shows up and and it's and it's usually the music and lyrics at the same time you know kind of at the same really? thing and and um and then I always go through the same exercise of is this a famous song on the radio? I mean, is this a song on the radio that I'm just singing back, you know, Lady Gaga's new song? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, or is this is this mine? Or whoever, whatever, whoever, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And and then the fun is some, you know, in those moments of discovering, no, this one just showed up. And those songs, those those. Those are the songs that mean the most to me because they're they they're not mine. I don't know where they I don't know where they come from, but all my favorite songwriter friends speak of that same thing wow. of songs that just kind of every once in a while the songs show up, and I just feel so lucky to have that you know ability yeah to 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 create a song. Wow, hey. This is so cool. Thank you so much for spending oh, the time with me and honored. being a part of the Evolution honored, Podcast. Honored. This is pretty I'm special. I'm so excited about your podcast, and I think this is 
fantastic, and you're going to just this. I can't wait to see where all of the this world of your show and podcast goes. I think you're just a fantastic guy, and I'm excited to see where this goes for you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining. I'm your host, Michael Sparks, for the Evolution Podcast. Until next time, everyone, continue to evolve, and we'll talk soon.